One of the most challenging aspects of being a choir director is working with middle school voices. It's challenging for a variety of reasons. Not only do you have such a wide variety of voices to work with, those voices are constantly changing. You then have to help all of your individual singers and then try to bring them into one cohesive ensemble. Well, in today's episode of the podcast, I have a conversation with a fantastic middle school director, Maurice Burgess, and we discuss a variety of topics, including how he places voices, how he utilizes the cambiotic concept in his teaching, how he helps singers through their voice change, how he selects repertoire, and more. Now, if you are someone that works with middle school voices, then this episode will bring you tons of incredible strategies and tips. You do not want to miss this one. Let's get into it. Here we go. Hello, my friends, and welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Choir Director Corner Podcast. Thanks so much for stopping by and joining us for today's episode. I hope you are well. I hope you are prepped and ready to go for this holiday season that is upon us. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, today's conversation is with an amazing middle school choir director, Maurice Burgess. Now, I first got to know Maurice online via social media, and then more so after he became a member of the Choir Director Corner community membership. And we were talking online one day about uh, the things that he does to place his singers vocally in, in, in his ensembles, and also, you know, what does he do to sort of remove the stigma of the voice change at that middle school? age. And I started thinking to myself, I've got to have him on the podcast because with his experience, his expertise, you know, he has an instrumental background as well as a vocal background. Um, he's been doing this at the middle school level a very long time with great success. And so I just knew that I had to have him on the podcast. So first off, thank you so much to Maurice uh, for joining me for today's episode. I know it's going to bring you tons of value. There are incredible strategies and tips in this episode. So if you are working with middle school voices, with changing voices, this is going to be a great episode for you. All right, so let's get into it. Here's our conversation with middle school choir director, Maurice Burgess. Well, Maurice, welcome to the Choir Director Corner podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. So uh, for our audience members, I talked a little bit about you in our intro, but tell our audience a little bit about yourself, including where you're at and uh, what you teach. Um, so I am currently at Greg Middle School, which is in Somerville, South Carolina. Somerville is sort of in the, it's in the Charleston metropolitan area. Um, or they call it the greater Charleston area. And um, we've got about 300 core students there and recently added a second choral director this year. And this is my fifth year there, actually. I got there in 2016, was teaching half piano, half chorus. Um, then it grew enough for me to teach all chorus. And, um, you know, on top of that, down here, I also teach uh, some trumpet lessons and play piano, but I also serve as principal tenor of a professional chamber choir 
called Taylor Festival Choir. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice choir. It, um, they performed at National ACDA, Southern Division ACDA. Um, we have an album. We're waiting to see if we make it to the next round of the Grammys, but we'll see um, if we make it to the real round of the Grammys. But, um, you know, my undergraduate training was instrumental and vocal music education. And then I went and got a master's degree in vocal performance. So uh, voice has always been a huge part of my life. At some point, I thought I just wanted to be a professional singer. At some point, I thought I wanted to be solely a voice teacher. And um, so that aspect of what I do is, is huge for me. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely have your hands full there. That is for sure. So <laughs> now with the, the pandemic, what is your schedule like currently? Are you fully in person? Are you uh, online or kind of a mixture of the two? So we started off the first two weeks being virtual. And so that meant every kid was, it was virtual, the whole district. And then after the first two weeks, our numbers got low enough for us to move to a hybrid schedule which the way our hybrid schedule works is students are either in an A cohort or a B cohort and they come, um, A cohort comes Monday, Tuesday, B cohort comes Wednesday, Thursday, everybody's virtual on Fridays. Now we also have a virtual academy and I have a lot of students that, um, whose parents elected for them to do just the virtual academy. Those students are virtual all day. So what a lot of teachers do is they'll teach their, say for instance, their A cohort Monday and Tuesday, and then they'll have them doing asynchronous work on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, I did that for maybe two weeks and my kids kind of had a heart to heart and said, you know, we really, we come to do this because we like working with you and all of our classes. It's like we have a teacher for two days and then we're doing this asynchronous thing. And so I just told them outright, I said, all right, well then guess what? I said, I'll you either you'll be here face to face with me five days a week or you'll be here with me virtually or you'll do a combination of both you know and so so the kids are either with me face to face or logged into the computer and I set up my three screens one with the teams meeting one with the plan on the big flat panel and then I have the chat on my computer and it's all set up around my piano and I face it out to where I can look at all the kids at once. So yeah. that's, that's sort of where we're at for now. And our, whether, whatever, whether or not we're virtual or hybrid depends on what the levels are in our County. Sure. And we get a report every week for that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I've always said music teachers are the ultimate multitaskers. I think you're taking that to another level with that setup from the sounds <laughs> of it. Trying. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about your um, your vocal training and your, your vocal background. Along with that, what are some other aspects of your, your teaching with middle school that you're really passionate about? Well, um, definitely, I think that the most important thing for me as a music educator is that I think music... I think it's, it's so funny because we train so much to be really um, well-prepared musicians and well-skilled musicians. But for me, I really kind of look at all the musical things as tools for helping kids learn how to collaborate, communicate, be a team. Um, lately, we've also been talking about how, um, how we present ourselves musically can be applied to 
how we present ourselves just in general, whether or not it's for an interview for college or for a job, or we're meeting somebody and just need to make a good impression. I like to link all of those things to, to the music. And, um, you know, it's kind of like I told the kids, I'm, sometimes I do random weird analogies. Uh, and I told them, essentially, I said, you know, if a bear comes walking into the room, which we don't have bears down here, we have alligators, but no bears. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's crouched over and it looks like it, it, you know, like this. And they said, well, it's scared. And I said, but if it's nice open posture, that's like, well, it's confident and I probably want to get out of the room. And I just talked to them about how all of those things that um, body language and, and we can use that as a tool um, for ourselves um, to just sort of advance ourselves. So those are sort of the non-musical things that I think are super important. Giving a kid a place where they belong. That's huge for me. Um, but, you know, like today, um, the, today, the seventh grade, there's a class that's almost all boys. Um, but then COVID kind of messed up the schedule. So it's all boys. And then there are, there are three face-to-face -face girls and two virtual girls with all boys around them. <laughs> and so, you know, we ended up talking about college for a little bit and talking about how their involvement in choir really can help make them more well-rounded. And even if they just go right into the workforce, people can see that they know how to work with people. And so for me, I just, I think it's super important for the students to feel like they have somebody that's going to be honest with them and somebody that believes in them. Um, but I also am very, I'm very passionate about them being very self-aware about their voice and their vocal development and how to develop their technique. Um, and lately I've been super nerdy about music literacy. Um, I think, I think growing up, I think what my, if I go back to my first year teaching um, that I was one of those people that grew up doing music. So reading music was not tough for me. And so having to learn how to help those people that struggled or didn't know anything, um, you know, I had to learn to be that person. And so that's something else. I, I really think that it's, it's about empowering them for that with that. Mm -hmm. um, because as I tell them when I'm 80, I'm probably going to be grumpy. You don't want me following you around to teach you your music. <laughs> um, you want to be able to do that on your own. And so, you know, those are sort of the, the things that I'm really, really, really passionate about. Um, but also, to, I, I really try to teach them that excellence is a mindset. And we all have circumstances, situations, and it's really how we react to them. It's really how we decide to, um, how to perceive it in terms of our reaction and what we do with it. And that historically speaking, there have been some great musicians that had terrible lives. I mean, we talked about Bach and how, you know, a lot, so many of his children died. And for somebody back then, it's just like, he, he didn't know until he got back home. Mm -hmm. You know, like we live in a totally different world than some of the folks did historically that have dealt with some things and, and they still persevered. And so I, I just think it's about empowering them. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel, yeah. whether that's musically or just life in general. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think all those extra musical things that you talked about this year more than any other year, that those are mm-hmm. so, uh, so important uh, to try and connect what we're doing with music with some of these other things that are, are going on currently and just their, their lives in general. You talked a little bit about um, music literacy. Are there any particular tools that you like to use with your singers as far as music literacy goes? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have been influenced by Carol Krieger. Um, and so, you know, when I, I, I taught at a high school, Dorman High School, 2005, which is actually my alma mater. And, um, and so I taught high school from 2005 to 2015. So middle school became a thing in my life in 2015. And, you know, they used a lot of Carol's methods. Mm. And so I had to learn that at first I was like, what is this Taka, huh? You know? (laughs) And so, but, but I also was one of those people that when I started off as, as somebody thinking they were going to be a band director, I, I really underestimated how much my choral director was teaching me Mm. um, because I thought, why can't these singers read rhythms, you know, that I'm, that I'm with. And, and so, I saw the importance of that and and Takadimi being beat based and understanding what part of the beat you're dealing with. It just makes it a lot easier to teach about um, division, subdivision, whether or not it's simple compound. And, and so I've invested in that. And so we obviously use Solfege. Um, We, you know, I know this is a big argument. I have some friends that would say, they don't agree, but <laughs> we use do, we use movable dough. We we use dough based major, of course, law based minor. Mm-hmm. All right, anybody that upset, sure. it's okay. Use what works for <laughs> That's you. That's right. Because I, I'm a big I'm a big advocate for you. Do have to use what works for you. I, I mean, singing in a professional choir. I know that not every single musician that's there is using the same exact strategies to figure things out. And so we have our home base that we use, which is Takadimi and the, the soul fetch that we've talked about, but, you know, I also work with my kids to talk about, um, counting, like, can you count sing? And, um, Cal Krieger would call them, um, curriculum maps or, or, or literature maps and where you kind of break down elements. And then I know Denise Eaton is very into them. I think she calls them prep sheets mm-hmm. and, but basically where you're dispensing elements, I use those as well so that students can kind of look at those. Um, you know, just your standard stuff, sight reading factory. But at the same time, you know, at some point we'll, we'll do some music theory. And um, I think it's, I think it's a matter of kind of using whatever tools you can use. Like right now for our ear training portion of it, we're dealing with dominant triads and we've just sort of bridged into first inversion for, for dominant and um, for the, the sixth graders. And so, what I did is there is in the singing musician books, there's just this in the unison book, there's this one place where it's jazz improv, but all of the, all of the choir parts are, um, are actually we're dealing with tonic and dominant are tonic triads or dominant triads. And so it was great because I could reinforce that in the year of the students and then make kids get out of their comfort zone and say, all right, you're going to improvise in the interim between these, measures that have those triads so i think you have to use whatever tools work for your program and i think also to you have to kind of look at what your values are for your program sure and um at some point i realized my program might not look like the program that's 
five minutes down the road, even if I really like the program five minutes down the road. You know, I have different kids and they have different needs. I have different strengths, you know, things that I have to work at. I think the biggest thing is just making sure you have a plan, mm -hmm. making sure you have a plan and that you follow through with that plan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I really like what you said, how it's an investment. You know, it's not something where you're automatically going to see, you know, immediate results from it, but it's an investment for down the road as we try to create independent musicians. And my previous school, I, you know, I started with Takadimi and of course, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, kids had, you know, very similar reactions to what you did. Like, what is this? And, and what are we doing? And by the end of the year, when we were getting into a passage where it was rhythmically difficult, I would have kids that would stop and raise their hands and say, can we do Takadimi on that passage? So that's those systems really do, really do make a difference. Um, well, one of the things that we've talked about previously that I wanted to uh, have you share a little bit with our audience is your process for voicing singers. I know I talked to a lot of middle school directors where, you know, obviously working with the middle school voice with that age is a challenge. And then, you know, sort of voicing singers is sort of uh, sort of an extra challenge for many of them. So talk a little bit about your process of voicing your singers, what you do, and, you know, what sort of classification system, you know, and how do you, you classify them in voices, what that's like? Okay, well, you know, I'm going to start with the gentleman first, because I think that's probably most people that teach middle school think that's the most problematic um, aspect of it. And I think two things tend to happen with boys, either there's, it's so difficult to navigate through things with them that people just kind of, it's just like you see this choir and you hear, you hear the sopranos and altos, you see boys, but you don't always hear them or boys just don't do it because they're going through the voice change. They're frustrated by it. They think that it is something that's wrong with them because all of a sudden they have this beautiful soprano or alto voice and it's gone and they don't realize that it's something that we all deal with. So, um, so basically for me with classifying um, the voices and I kind of I typed some things to make myself stay on task. <laughs> um, but yes. And so, you know, I for me, I think about definitely my cambiata and baritone voices first, but we're going to talk about the treble voices too in a bit. But for me, um, I will say outright that I'm very influenced by a lot of the Texas resources and um, in particular, the cambiata Institute. Um, at University of North Texas and Alan McClong used to run that. Um, it's, and so, you know, for me, I'm one of those people that when I want to learn something, I'm going to try to go to where I feel like the best information is. And for me, when I started teaching middle school, it was just like the Cambiata Institute. That's where the information that I need to know is located. And so the summer after I started teaching at Greg, I actually drove out to Texas and, and I went to their um, junior high middle school um, camp that they do. And they have what they call the vocal seminar um, and teacher training program. And basically what we got to do was just observe anything that we wanted to observe, including the voice classification, including the rehearsals. There were some great folks there. Um, 
let's see, uh, uh, Connie Horton was there from McCullough Junior High. Her kids sound fabulous. And, you know, it's just, I went down there because I wanted to learn, like, what are they doing that's making this work? And so um, what he does is he's the process where the boys come in and, well, first of all, he typically has a conversation with them and just to sort of see where their voice is. And I kind of do a similar thing, although I've, I've taken a little bit from Lynn Gackle as well um, with um, Finding Ophelia's Voice. And so I do the having them count backwards about 92 beats per minute, you know, so that they don't think about it. They're just using the voice that they have. And sometimes I'll try to figure it out on the piano by talking to them or having them to count backwards in other times. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the Tonal Energy app. Mm -hmm. I use the Tonal Energy app daily. And sometimes I just put my Tonal Energy app there on the piano and, I'm, and I just use that to figure out um, where their average speaking pitch is. And, and so then I use that to um, vocalize them. He uses an, an exercise that goes, um, take me home, oh, take me home. I kind of vary that a little bit. You know, and I've had, I told boys essentially, you know, we can, we just have to use the same vowel sounds. And I've had anything from bake me scones, oh, bake me scones. <laughs> and um, yeah, right. Uh, and so I've had anything from that, but you vocalize them up, you vocalize them down. Um, you're trying to figure out where their upper terminal pitches are and their lower terminal pitches. And so I, I find um, middle school boys can kind of be all over the map. And so for me, um, it's helping them figure out exactly what, where their voice lies. And there's actually a, a vocal range classification sheet. I'm pretty sure I got it off the Cumbiata Institute site as well. But a lot of times for my gentlemen, and I do this for my ladies too, except for I use the one that's in the Finding Ophelia's Voice resources. Um, and I make sure I make the, that classification sheet for them and they can actually use that as a reference um, point, all right? Mm -hmm. And I keep all of this, now that I've got Andrea teaching with me, I, in my, and we have our own choral director team, and so we have a whole folder that's just voice classification. Male voice classification, female voice classification, it has all of the things that we do. It has um, just uh, an outline of all the different stages. And so, um, so we use that, but, um, one of the things also too, I think that is, is cool about the Cambiata Institute stuff is they have, um, there's just lots of resources in terms of like, there's a whole bibliography of, of different resources about to learn about that, that voice change. But the basic premise is um, that that is really something that has influenced how I approach voices. Now I'll also tell you, I avoid, really classifying them as like nobody's a tenor like that's how i feel with them it's like uh nobody's a tenor um i typically stick with cambiata one and phase a and b of that depending on the range of their voice and then cambiata two and then some of the gentlemen might move into uh being a baritone phase a phase b and all of this stuff it, i mean like all of, I'm pretty sure that that chart is definitely on the Cambiata Institute site, so people can sort of access that. But um, something else I'm very particular about with the gentlemen, but also with the ladies, is when we do sort of classify them, 
I tell them essentially, this is where your voice is in terms of development right now, but that that voice will continue changing. You know, it's going to continue developing and we really can't predict exactly where it's going to land. And I, I never want to box them in. And, you know, I just want to make them aware of what, of where their voice is in terms of the stages of development and potentially where it could head. So we do learn about some of the older voice types, but I never tell a kid, Oh, you sound like you're going to be a tenor because we just don't, we just don't know. And, um, and so for the um, female voices, it's sort of a similar thing. One of my favorite resources is, is the Finding Ophelia's voice that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. Lynn Gackle. And I think she's got some really, really fabulous ideas that are backed by lots of research. So we do the whole counting backwards thing, 92 beats per minute, figure out where their voice is. And um, again, you know, I figure out where that is. And so at that point, we'll start a fifth above where their average speaking pitch is. And we'll do sort of a descending five note scale, typically on ah, not because ah is a great vowel to vocalize on, but because ah is not always a great vowel (laughs) to vocalize on because what you're kind of listening for is where are, where is it easy for them to sing? Where does it seem like it maybe is shifting into a different registration? Mm -hmm. And you're starting to learn like ah, if you ah is going to tell you where's the best part of this kid's voice. And where's the part of this voice where it's not easy for them to sing. It may have tension. It may not be focused. And so, you know, that's why, that's why we use it. So we do that, um, figuring out where it is in terms of the bottom of their range. We do that, figuring out where it is uh, in terms of the top of their range. And again, we're finding their upper terminal pitch, their lower, their lowest terminal pitch. And, um, and so what we do from there too is, um, and I love this recommendation of, of hers. Um, my kids, if you were to say, all right, we're going to do a mesa di voce, they would know what you're talking about. They know that we're going to crescendo and then we're going to decrescendo because we talk about a lot about how historically speaking in bel canto, how you would go sort of through your rudiments. And that was one of them different, you know, starting off with, uh, Mesa di voce and then figuring out other variations on that. But she talks about how you go through different parts of the their range to figure out what testatura they can crescendo from soft to piano to mezzo forte, mm-hmm. you know, and because that will kind of help you tell too, where is this person able to sustain? Where is this girl able to sustain? And and so again, you're you're ex- exploring it. And it kind of tells you too where their money notes are, their their current money notes, because that's going to keep changing. Um, so, and again, you're listening for where's the sound clear, where is it free of tension and comfortable. Um, you're listening for um, where is it naturally um, resonant. You know, where does that kind of pop out for? And so you do that, um, and then from from there she does what you, I mean, it's just basically a scale and you start, I think it's a three, um, it's typically where most will start and you, um, work your way up and, um, or no, it's, it's the a below middle C and then you work your way up. Mm-hmm. And then you, um, as you're doing that, you're again, you're listening for the different registers and you go up 
half step and you're listening for where those are. And, and that kind of gives you an idea. And one of the things I like about her resources is she does have kind of have a chart mm -hmm. that talks about uh, different stages of development and um, what some of those characteristics are. And it's the same sort of, you have phase one and then you have uh, phase two A, phase two B, phase three. And there are certain characteristics like this voice that is phase one. Maybe it's, you know, that's probably a very young voice, you know, and, and again, I think sometimes people think that the ladies aren't going through a voice change, but they really are. And I'm pretty upfront with my um, girls about the fact that as they're going through certain stages of development, there might be times where their voice, they have trouble focusing their voice. Right. I mean, we know that they're going through some physical changes that are, they're becoming more adult. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we know that. And even too, I was talking to a girl today and I said, you know, she's about some changes in her voice. I said, well, that's normal. And, you know, sometimes a student might lose a portion of their range, like maybe the upper range, and then it comes back in a different way. And, um, you know, what the, one of the neat things about middle school students is I can look at my students sometimes and, you know, these, these two girls might both be eighth graders and those two girls are going to be potentially at different stages of development. And so that's what, that's what we listen for is trying to get them into those classifications. I, I typically avoid soprano, alto, um, and in fact, I, I typically will tell my girls that, um, you know, be very aware of, of what tessitura you feel like you can sing in comfortably. You want to sing in what's the most healthy for your voice. And so girls know that all they have to do is say, hey, Mr. Burgess, I really feel like I should sing soprano in this piece. And I'll let them. Or even too, they might say, Mr. Burgess, I, I tell them communication is a big thing. Same with my voice. You know, it might be, okay, I realize I have to sing soprano for these measures, and then it's better for me to go to the alto part. Sure. You know, because it's a work in progress. They might be at one stage in the technical exercises we're doing, and they might not be quite comfortable enough to focus on making music and still sustain all of those technical things they're still ironing out. So, yeah. you know, but I, I think I love um, all of the Cambiata Institute Institute stuff. Lynn Gackle, not only is that book fabulous and comes with a little DVD, but it's got so many resources that it cites. And so you can just go down the rabbit hole of those resources and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be making sure that I uh, put in the show notes links to that Cambiata Institute website, as well as the finding Ophelia's voice. And I do know that, like you said, on the, the Institute website, there is uh, a PDF where it shows the different ranges of each phase. Mm -hmm. For those listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with the Cambiata concept, talk a little bit maybe about those phases and do those, your singers that you have, do they always sort of cleanly fit into one of those phases? Do they always sort of do each step in that progression and kind of what does that progression look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, no, because I mean, I think it's just like anything else. Every voice is a little bit different, but I do think they sort of basically fit into, into that mold. So, so for instance, with a lot of my Cambiata wines, I, you know, a lot of them really do 
that A below middle C is, for a lot of them, it really is kind of the bottom. That's where their range is. And sort of as they go through that phase, I can tell, you know, some of them that a G might start kicking in. And, you know, you can sort of see that, but I don't think it's always as, as cut and dry as that. You know, today for, well, it's actually yesterday. Um, was it yesterday? <laughs> Which cohort was it? I know I'm trying to figure, oh, okay. It was cohort A. So it was, um, it was definitely Tuesday. So I, I don't shy away from allowing my boys that are comfortable singing soprano to sing soprano if they feel like that's where they they want to be. In fact, I, I've had situations where one of my boys might decide to sing, we don't use the word tenor, cambiata on one piece and then soprano or alto on a different piece because they feel like that's where they feel comfortable or they can do both comfortably. So they decide they want this different challenge. And I, I know that some programs really kind of tuck the boys into cambiata baritone groups. And, but for me, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of um, Drekensburg boys choir and, you know, they sing soprano, alto, tenor, bass. And you look at a lot of the um, boy choir schools and there's a, there's a lot of that going on. And I, I think, you know, I think it can be cultural too. Um, I don't know when I was in the upstate if it's, if it would be, I mean, I guess it would be as well received, but, but I do know down here, I mean, my gentlemen, they like, it's like a badge of pride to be able to like, I can still sing soprano. And I also think for, for that matter, sometimes there's some repertoire where you kind of want those boys on that soprano part if they really feel comfortable doing it because it creates a unique sound. And so, you know, I, so if, I guess long story short, I don't think it's always fitting as cleanly, but like the other day when I had these boys, all of them, all of those cambiatas in that class could sing beautiful soprano. And I got to one boy that has historically been a, a good soprano and his voice has changed a little. He doesn't have that ease of the, of that upper register and, but you can hear it in him. His voice is lower. Um, at, at some points this year, a little vibrato has started kicking in and, you know, we're, you know, if I, I'm a firm believer that vibrato is just a natural result of healthy, efficient technique. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't draw attention to it or have them try to create that. It's just like, oh, cool. That's, that means your voice is heading towards a little more maturity and you can hear that with him. And so, you know, and I actually, and I looked at him and I said, yeah, I think your, I think your voice is, is maybe about to head towards some other changes. And, and they never, they look, don't, they don't look at it and go, oh, my life is over. They look at it as cool. This is a new adventure and I don't know what it's going to hold. So let's find out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of my, was leading into my next question is that, you know, sure. for those directors that, like you said, maybe they're in a, a school, a program that doesn't quite have that tradition. Um, how do you think the the cambiata concept has helped you help your singers through what is a very challenging time like it's very challenging vocally but just 
socially like you know the, this change for for boys at this age you know, mm-hmm. kind of traumatic so how how has this concept um sort of helped you uh help them with this whole this whole process so um for me i mean i, I think it's just it's just awareness. I think a lot of the boys are just embarrassed with the voice change or they convince themselves that if their, if their voice cracks, that the world's over. And, um, you know, like they just, they feel like that's this big social stigma, but for us, I mean, we just kind of made it part of our identity. It's part of our culture that, um, kids know they're free to experiment vocally. Um, and that, you know, something I say to my kids, I'm just like, is that really a hill to die on? You know, and it's, and it's really not of all the things in the world. I mean, it, you know, I'll say things in like, is a comet going to come crashing into the earth because your voice cracked or, um, you know, and we celebrate a kid where they're at. I mean, we, we don't have an audition program. If a kid wants to learn how to sing, we welcome them. And, you know, sometimes that means that you might get a kid that doesn't match pitch when they're coming in the door. And it's, it's our goal to help them out and to help them to get better at it through the music literacy side of it and through the developing vocal technique. And, um, but you know, if a kid has five notes that can sing, well, we celebrate those five notes, you know? And, and so I, I think it's, I think it's all about how you approach it. I've got about 80 boys in my program this year and believe it or not that's actually down (laughs) because of us having less people because of of COVID but we have about 80 boys in the program and so as you can imagine there it's a wide range of of abilities and experience and 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 again it's we really um I just try to be very aware um even with my virtual kids if if I um if I know there's a kid I haven't really heard from or haven't really heard them sing in a while, I'll, um, I'll call on them. And sometimes they might, sometimes they might sing for me um, with everybody else mm-hmm. <laughs> up there, but it's a little scary sometimes for others. And so a lot of times, if that's the case, then um, I've tricked them in a way. Like we started that secret singer thing. And so they can commit, they can submit for that. Mm-hmm. They don't, I can see who they are, but nobody else can. Um, or even two, I, I, I have two voice lessons tomorrow with two different kids because, you know, one wants to focus on getting their technique stronger and another wants to focus on their timing in one of the pieces that we're working on. Um, and, you know, I just, I just, again, I think it's about making it a part of the culture. I I had a really fantastic high school choir director. She was really, really good. But one thing, if I could change one thing about my experience, believe it or not, I was actually singing baritone. Mm. And I was a good, I, you know, I was a good reader. And, um, you know, I could sort of sing the notes. I think sometimes a tenor and a baritone, there's not a huge difference between a straight lace baritone except for one lives in that range up there. Sure. And then another one just visits, <laughs> you know, um, the baritones just visit. But um, I got to a point where, and it wasn't her fault. It was, it was really kind of me being a kid that was really wanting to latch on to being really good at what I was doing. I tried to make myself sound like a baritone. And so um, I had a lot of, of things to, untie after that because really honestly once we sort of got my voice sorted out um 
I, you know, I, I really sing Handel, Rossini, <laughs> Donizetti, I sing Bel Canto, you know, yeah. and, and, um, and that's where my voice lives. And I just really try to make sure that kids, kids don't live in that world. And so we focus on developing great alignment, breathing, resonance, um, all of those things that are just purely technical things and, and letting them understand that their voice will kind of be discovered mm -hmm. through that journey. Um, but again, I think, it, I think it's what you make of it. I really do think it's what you make of it because I, I've worked really hard culturally and, and, and we don't just do like we have our musical side of it, but I do a lot of reading of things like culture code, talent code, um, all the leaders, all the various leadership books. We're, we're working through uh, pathway to success. Um, it's uh, Dr. Tim, Scott Rush and, you know, we, we specifically address the, the whole mindset side of it in a musical format. And, and I think, again, I think that helps us to help that helps us with this journey. But I think the boys, I think the boys are less likely to have a stigma about it if they are informed about it. Mm -hmm. And they're informed about the stages. And also too, I think I, you know, I live in, I live in South Carolina sometimes the south we're not known for like if somebody's voice is high it's just all kinds of assumptions might be made but we i mean i address that head on by saying you know um i've learned this from scott mccoy who used to teach at westminster and then went to ohio state he's voice science and pedagogy but one of the things is uh, abuse misuse and overuse we talk about that and part of one of the ways that we can not use our voice the right way is by speaking in a range that's not healthy for it. And, and so, you know, I think just teaching the kids to be aware. And again, honestly, I, my kids, I go from being ridiculous to completely honest to whatever. But one of the things I'm honest about with them is we're the only ones that live in our own skin every day. So why, you know, be careful who you give power to why are you going to give power to people that are going to make an assumption based on where your voice is or what your voice is when you enjoy doing this thing? Like you're really the only person that that should matter to. And so I think you do have to make it a cultural thing. Yeah. And that's why my boys will come in. Even my bass and baritones that have good falsettos, they want to sing with the sopranos if we're doing a soprano thing. And you know, nobody bats an eye at it. Mm -hmm. There's, it's just a normal thing. And, and honestly, that's one of the cool things about middle school choir. And, and I think people underestimate that is that sometimes when kids come into sixth grade, they don't know what middle school choir is supposed to be. So you can really create what you really need for it to be and want for it to be for those kids. Well, and you talked a little bit about the importance of communication too. And I think that was kind of woven into everything you were, you were talking about there. And you can really tell when you, you talk about the things that you're, you're doing with your, your students that they feel uh, like it's very easy for them to come and, and talk with you and communicate with you. Is there any uh, suggestions or tips that you would have for other middle school directors, as far as just cultivating that sense of, open communication. So like, you know, if a, a, a student feels like that their voice is sort of changing, that they can come and talk with you, how, how do you sort of cultivate that? 
Well, I think, I think you just have, I mean, I think we have to really think about why we do what we do. Um, and I think, I, I mean, and, and you know this, I'm sure just have just being a musician and having worked with lots of conductors and lots of music educators that sometimes we can make it about us and it, and it's just simply not about us. And I think people underestimate the ability of kids to see through that. I think they underestimate the ability of the kid to see if our intentions are genuine. And one of the things about um, my kids is I, I really try to practice what I preach. If I make a mistake, I learn from it. I grow from it. I don't pretend like I'm perfect in front of them. And, um, and I think that you, you got to have that transparency and you got to have that, that open honesty with them. And, and I think for me, when I look at my kids, part of why I, I love teaching middle school and, you know, I've had people try to lure me back to high school and I just, part of why I love middle school is because I realized teaching high school that there are some kids that have experiences when they're younger that are, they needed somebody that was going to be a mentor and, and invest in them and care about them earlier than high school because by then it's too late. And so I just try to make sure my kids understand that they're, the priority is them. And I tell them that outright. I've told my kids outright. I love music. You guys know I eat, sleep, breathe it, dream it. You know, like music's what I do, but that definitely the most important thing in this equation is you. Mm -hmm. I mean, on top of anything that that's, that's where it has to be. And I think, I think we just have to, we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the kid and be willing to listen to the kid and, and, and just be aware, you know, of, of all your kids. I, I know that I can, I know all of my kids. I know I can name all my kids. I know I can tell you things that they enjoy, things they don't enjoy, things that they are um, nervous about or anxious about. And, you know, I just, I try to keep an open line of communication. Now, sometimes now that they have email, I regret that, <laughs> but you know, you know, but the kids, the kids are really great. And, and I try to reinforce if they communicate the right way. Like when the kids like, you know, I've got a, uh, an email from a kid that said, Hey, I'm just letting you know that I submitted my Flipgrid and um, I just wanted to make sure you got it. And so I went and checked it and I said, got it. I appreciate you communicating just trying to reinforce those skills and, and reinforcing too um, that they're supportive of each other mm -hmm. as well. Because I look at some of my kids and, and I think my good, like this was the bad kid, you know, and everybody's like, Oh, that kid. Why? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I love that kid. That kid straightens my chairs after every single <laughs> class that they're in. This kid wrote me and said, Hey, I'd like to, see if we, if I can work with you and we can try to write a song um, for the eighth graders um, before we go, you know? And, and again, I think it's about giving those kids something where they can just be who they are. And I think that's the thing about my kids. They know that I'm going to love them and I'm going to care about them regardless. And, you know, some people have, I, I think when I was first starting to teach, I think I was scared of that, you know, but at some point, I realized those kids needed that. Not every kid has a great home. Not every kid even has a home. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes those kids, 
need for me to say as they're logging out their meet out the meet out of their meetings to say, well, all right, guys, I just want to just remind you that I love you and I hope you have a good weekend. Make sure you take care of yourself because, you know, go out and do something you love, go out and do something you enjoy because I just don't think we do that enough. Mm -hmm. You know, and honestly, kids, kids aren't going to want to make music with you if they don't. I mean, it, it goes like this. A kid's not going to be able going to invest in you if they don't know that you genuinely are investing in them. And I said, want to say genuinely, mm -hmm. because I can read all the books in the world about how the brain works and development and all of that. But if it's not genuine, if my motivation isn't a, clearly about the kid, doesn't matter. They're going to see right through it and know that I'm only doing it because I have something I want to get out of them. So, I mean, I think that's really, I don't think there's like a magic wand. I think it's like, just be honest, just be genuine about your intentions as you go in there and work with the kids. Before we continue our amazing conversation with Maurice, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking for a choir activity that will work both virtually and in person? An activity that will build the soulfish skills of your singers? Well, the Choir Room is Lava Soulfish version is just what you are looking for. Many of us played the Floor is Lava game growing up, and now that game is a fun, engaging activity for your choir. The game can be played as part of virtual learning or played in person while projecting your screen. Or you can even print off all the materials and play it like an old school board game. You even get PDF instructions and a video tutorial on how to play the game. For more information and to get your copy of the game, head on over to choirdirectorcorner.com forward slash the choir room is lava. And that link will also be down in the show notes. And remember, watch your step because the choir room is lava. You talked a little bit about uh, earlier about repertoire. So for a director that maybe wants to start to incorporate a little bit more, um, you know, with cambiata voices, with repertoire, have you found it's more challenging to find repertoire when you're sort of, you know, programming for cambiata voices? Um, and maybe what are some things that you've done to sort of uh, combat that? Yeah, it can be challenging, but I think it's like anything else. I think it's like finding repertoire for a coloratura mm. or finding repertoire for whatever, a lyric baritone. I think you, you have to kind of educate yourself about it. And obviously you're looking at the ranges. I think you're looking at the, the you know, how loud are they required to sing within certain ranges? How long are they sustaining within um, certain ranges? I will tell you that if I did have it my way, um, you know, right now it's, it's, we started to set up our classes where, you know, we essentially were going to have um, cambiata baritone class in seventh grade. There was an eighth grade section as well. And then we're going to have concert treble, varsity treble. And honestly, with that varsity treble, it wasn't necessarily that those girls were always more advanced. Sometimes it was this girl says, and they work hard. They want it that's where they want it to land. And so that's where they landed because I know I, I really feel, I, and I'm upfront with the kids about this hard work. The kids that work hard, they're the ones that are going to make it the far, the furthest. doesn't matter what the talent level is because I really tell them hard work is talent. Like you work hard, you do the work talent will, will be a thing. But um, in terms of, of actually finding um, the repertoire, 
I, I think we just have to pick repertoire kids can sing. My first year at Greg, I'm I'm pretty sure that pretty sure that it was like a grade two or three and a grade one because those kids hadn't really been going to state assessment as much. And I think we did like Shoshone love song and uh, uh, Jerry Estes has a Gloria. And, and, but what we were able to do with it is really work on singing with balance, singing with good intonation, singing with phrasing. And, um, and so, you know, I think that was, that was the thing I had to do. And then two years later, um, we did a piece, Mark Burroughs' Circamea, and that piece on some lists, it's a grade five. But it was kind of, it was kind of a I just happenstance to find that piece and to look at that piece and say, wow, this tenor part really doesn't go below a G, below middle C, you know? And then the one place where it does, it's unison. Um, and so for those two measure snippets, and then it goes into the sopranos and tenors having a different part. And that happens again later. But when it went to that part, you know, I was able to look, the boys, because they were aware of their voices, they were able to say, all right, so I'm going to sing these notes in the tenor part, and I'm going to jump up and grab a little bit of alto and then come back down. And so we could really kind of tailor it to the kid. And so that left us only really having to worry about all of the, the musical demands that were in it. So I think definitely having an awareness of where those ranges lie. And honestly, I don't want to say I micromanage, but I do like a lot of times I'll have, I'll have a kid keep a voice classification sheet that has where their range is. So if they're working on a piece of music and they really need to, they can just stick it right there next to their music and, and be very aware of whether or not a part is really within the range that they have. And if they feel, and they know that if they feel like something's going on with their voice, reach out to me mm -hmm. and um, we'll figure out where you're at. So I think that's, that's one thing um, that, that, I think is super important, but um, I think I also, I use a lot of the Texas UIL stuff. Okay. Um, I, I use the UIL list. I go to the pres prescribed music list and I look and see what the varsity requirements are. I can tell you, unless they've changed it this year, varsity groups are going to do a grade three, a grade two, and an any source. That's what middle schools of my size would do. And the great thing about them is a lot of those, um, pieces are written for, you know, appropriate ranges for that age range, for that age group. But it's also about knowing some of the people that really write for that, that age range. So like we, Russell Robinson is one, um, Andrea Ramsey, I use her stuff. Um, she writes well for that range. Uh, Liebergen does some great arrangements. Um, last year we did um, Reese Norris's uh, Paper Crane. You know, Reese was teaching middle school at the time. Mm -hmm. He knows what the what those ranges are like. And so we so I you know, that's why we did it. And then, too, we also did um, April is in my mistress face, but the Russell Robinson arrangement of it, because it just really it fit that age voice. So I think it's important to to really kind of learn what those kinds of um, voices are singing, what composers are are doing that for that matter too. Cambiata Press also has some some things that are voiced for that that age range. But I will tell you, other times, I do think about my dream pieces, and 
I I think about groups like the Drakensberg Boys. I will listen to some of their stuff, and you know, for instance, their oldest kid, their oldest boys are ninth graders. You know, so and some of the, their youngest ones are elementary kids. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So so I'm able to kind of look at that and sort of say and and kind of know that if I'm want to go into the soprano alto tenor cambiata mm -hmm. all right uh baritone um voicing that there are models out there to kind of listen to georgia boy choirs another one um texas has a boy choir that you know also does some mixed voicing stuff so i mean those groups are out there minnesota those groups are out there if you want if, i mean to listen to um for the gentlemen but even too for the ladies um there's there are groups like Tigerberg Children's Choir or or um, you can look up almost any conference these days on YouTube. Um, I started off on Spotify and I actually wrote this out. So I want to make sure that I, I get it right. Maybe I didn't write it down. <laughs> All right. But essentially. Maybe I don't know what page it's on, but I think I can remember off the top of my head. Okay. So one of the first things I did when I started teaching middle school was to make a playlist of choirs that were that age. And what I did is I went to Spotify and I typed in TMEA. I went through all of the TMEA every year I could find, found every middle school, every junior high, put them on that playlist. And then I eventually graduated from Spotify to um, Apple Music. I use Apple Music now. And I want to say I have something like 211 hours and 44 minutes. Oh, I think wow. that's the exact amount of music on there. And I just, if I go on a walk, I put it on shuffle. If I go on a run, put it on shuffle, you know, and, and I just listen. And if I find something I like, screenshot it. Um, some of those TMEA um, elementary honor choirs that are selected for the conference great for sixth grade repertoire mm -hmm. you know i mean you, you, their, their system's a little different from ours in that um they they start reading music maybe at a little younger age but those voices are about the same you know they're about the same fifth sixth grade i mean there's a reason some schools some districts have intermediate schools you know and and so i just i think that's a really 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 fantastic way to go about it just listen Listen to choirs. What are choirs in that age range singing? And again, you can find any choir that sang, sang for any ACDA, TMEA, any state FVA. You can find recordings of those choirs. And, you know, I don't think you should just only listen to the ones that are absolutely st stellar. I think you should listen to the whole gamut of it because you're going to have different levels of kids coming in and, and you want to be able to prescribe repertoire that works for them. I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm adamant about, um, and I'm still working on this because there's that meme that has, um, it has the guy and he's walking with his girlfriend <laughs> and it's like appropriate repertoire for my choir repertoire. That's too, too hard. And sometimes you know, I find myself like I've got to keep myself in check with that. Absolutely. And, and yeah. And so one of the things I'm adamant about is, you know, the Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic for any, any grade four or five or six that you do, I think you have to do a grade one, two or three. 
And so I'm really adamant about when we perform for the state conference, I want to make sure that, yeah, there are these dream pieces that we've done, but then there's also this piece that anybody sitting here, no matter what your choir's like, you too can do this piece, you know? Cause I think sometimes, sometimes we get a false sense. Uh, people get defeated, feel defeated about picking repertoire for their kids because they go to these conference and conferences and they hear choirs that have been selected because they're really good, you know? And so I think it's, it's important for those choirs to make sure that we do some, that, you know, do repertoire that others can do as well. But again, I think listening to lots of choirs in that age range, your dream ones and ones that are just choirs. Um, but then, uh, you know, listening and then Cambiata uh, Press, I think the UIL list, Florida Vocal Association, I think has a list that's very appropriate as well. Um, but I, I just think you, you just have to educate yourself about it and talk to people. Talk to people. If you hear somebody who's really great at middle school choir, I listen, I, I without shame will send an email to people that I that I think I need to learn from. And, and case in point, I emailed the direct, the director of Drakensburg Boys Choir. And I said, Hey, I really like these arrangements. I didn't expect to get a response. And, um, and I was wondering, you know, if, if there's a way um, that these are available. So he sold me some arrangements and then he said, yeah, he's like, you know, I'd love to hear your kids. And so I petrified, I sent him some recordings of my kids and he, and he, sends me this email back that says, oh, you should sing this and you should sing that and you should sing this. And you, and so luckily he, he, I, you know, of course I'm like, oh my goodness, he's going to think my kids suck. They're world champions, <laughs> you know? And so, but he was so nice, you know? And, and what was great is when the stuff he sent me, the boys that sing soprano fit like a glove mm. because that's what he does every single day. And so I think, you know, reach out to those people. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I mean, what's the worst, what's the worst thing that can happen is that you send a message to somebody or reach out to contact somebody and they end up a jerk. Well, you just know not to contact them anymore. Right. And you go to somebody that's not a jerk, you know? And so I think there are lots of ways to find repertoire. And I, I think, again, those resources I mentioned, the list that I mentioned, mm -hmm. but also just talk to people that you think are great at it. And, and um, actually sometimes I, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Reed Academy. Yes. Okay. So Dan and I are friends. Okay. Sometimes I'll send Dan a message and go, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to find a piece for my kids and he'll, he'll give me some recommendations, uh -huh. you know, people that I respect. It's just like, I want to know, what do you think? And for that matter too, if you hear a choir, that is similar to your choir, reach out to those directors because they probably have some ideas that will fit your kid if you have similar vocal production, mm -hmm. you know, a sim and a similar skill set. Yeah, absolutely. So say I, and you uh, mentioned some great uh, resources, the Cambiata Institute, there's some, sh there's music there, then Cambiata Press and the UIL. If I go on JW Pepper um, and I'm searching by, voicing what voicings should i start with like should i be considering like sat sab or there's some other things that i should be looking for there again i think it depends on your choir and i think it's uh, really thinking about what your choir can 
and can't do. And, and you know, again, I, um, my first year at Greg, like there was a certain range that I knew the kids could sing in well. But then last year, of course, you know, I, I had sopranos include some of the boys. If I wanted a high A, they could do it. Um, I had basses. I think you probably heard the recording of, um, of one of my kids who he's a seventh grader and he has a low D flat, yeah. <laughs> you know, but his dad's a bass and his mother's a, a low alto. Sure. So, I mean, it's just genetics. I have a sister. His sister's also, I hear her voice and I'm like, yeah. you have your mother's voice. Mm-hmm. It is this low alto, rich alto for now, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so again, I think it's about being, um, being aware we did the um we did the canal alleluia the Liebergen arrangement of it and uh, there's one place where he actually i want to say at the end there's an optional low e and i have boys that could do it so we did it yeah you know <laughs> i think it, i think it's a matter of doing it now i will tell you i kind of differ from some people in that i think sometimes people do do the sat thing and but if you've got boys and they're straining to be there, that might not be the right rep. Sure. And not only that, but I think if you're going to go there, I think look more for three-part mixed okay. than SAT. Because a lot of times, again, it, those, that three-part mixed stuff, sometimes that stays in a, a great range. Like the, um, that April is in my mistress face, the Robinson arrangement, sure. three-part mixed fit like a glove for my kids. But I had to kind of be aware of what my kids were doing and, and know that it would work. Mm-hmm. And then um, the paper crane, you know, if I didn't have the Sopranos, I could do the desk can at the end and sing about the staff. I didn't need to be doing the piece. Right. You know, if I didn't have basses that could sing slightly below the staff, I didn't need to be doing the piece, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it's just really a matter of being, you know, it might be a little bit of micromanaging, but I just think you've got to be aware of what you have to work with in your choir. Well, and I think that's really important information because, you know, talking with a lot of middle school folks and there's just sort of a lot of mystery and kind of confusion, like SAT, SAB, like you said, the three-part mixed and, you know, kind of, you know, what, uh, what the differences are there and kind of what route to go there. So that's, that's great information for our, our middle school f- folks out there. Um, I thought of one other question uh, while we were talking. And so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but talking a lot sure. about the boys in your program, you just fantastic singers for directors that are out there that are really, again, this is a lot of, a lot of directors really struggle to recruit you know, boys to their, their program, especially at the middle school level, any, and you've talked a lot about sort of your interaction with the students. And I think that's a, a huge part of it, but any other uh, particular bits of advice for how you can sort of bring more of those singers into your program? Well, um, I will tell you that I feel like with my gentlemen that I, I think you, I mean, like it, it's, it is kind of branded in a way, sure. you know, um, I kind of realized this when I went to visit some of the elementary schools last year and I started playing a recording of Circa May and the first thing they hear is this full bass sound. And I think a lot of times people don't, don't think that's possible. Now I, I will tell you this. I, I think sometimes 
Um, well, I'll just, I'll just say it like it is. Okay. <laughs> Pedagogically speaking, I'm not one of those choral directors that's trying to create all the space to create the sound. Sure. I really approach it as more of a voice teacher in that we're going to have well-tuned vowels that are efficient. I'm definitely influenced by, um, well, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'm glad I brought my books over. <laughs> Practical vocal acoustics, mm. all right? Ken Bozeman. But I also have, also have all, of the, all of the different things, like Don Miller's books about it. And, and, you know, for me, it's going to be very logical in that we're going to follow the laws of acoustics and we're going to know where vowels function best. We're going to follow the laws of this is how these muscles function in this way. This is how to get them to be efficient. And like, I, I hate to say it like this, but I don't know what it's, that it's always, I think that part of it has to be the boys especially have to know that you're willing to help them figure this out. Mm. And you're willing to invest in them. And you're, it's not going to be a stigma. And honestly, they have to know that you're going to go to bat for them. Like, for instance, if, a, if, if somebody says, um, you're in chorus or something like that, you know, and a boy mentions that, it's like, yeah, you're in chorus. And these are the things that the choral program have, has done, you know. And, and, and again, providing opportunities. I think the same goes, same goes for the girls. You know, but it, it, it's, it's, a you know, them knowing that you're going to do whatever it takes to help them navigate through all of this. And I think my first year at Greg, trying to think about how many boys I even had, I'm pretty sure it was less than 20. Mm. <laughs> I think it was probably more like 14, 15, if that. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's all kind of blends together now. But, but you know, I, I, I just, I think, they, you have to be willing to, to help them out. But I also think sometimes the SAT thing, uh, going back to that, sometimes these kids that, you know, that kid that sang the low D flat, why am I, gonna, why am I ever going to program an SAT piece where he's basically going to just stand there, right. you know? And, or even too, sometimes we make the boys either strain to get up to the upper notes or we – make them sing falsetto. Well, that's, I, I personally, this is just my philosophy and I know everybody does it differently. I think they want us to help them. Why not help them navigate through the voice that they have at that moment? And sometimes I think that, and I don't want to say that doing some of the other thing is because it's easier for us, but sometimes it is. I mean, it is a lot of work to take the time to try to educate ourselves about all of those stages of development and making sure that we're programming the right way. But, you know, like, for instance, the boys right now, we just started looking at um, the Warrior. Again, Reese Norris, sure. you know, top middle school. It's perfect ranges. And the boys really want to do that. Earlier when we were talking, we were talking about um, how I figured out that Blackbeard, the pirate, was from down here. Right. Grew up in Goose Creek, down the road. Right. You know, and and how that's the perfect opportunity to do something pirate based. And the boys are like, wow, like there was a real pirate that grew up here. Blackbeard, the pirate, he's a famous pirate, you know. And so I, I think, again, it's it's about 
it's about just making sure they have a place where they can belong, where they feel valued. They know that they can still be a boy. And, but that, for that matter too, I, you know, I, I don't box them into, I think some, some places kind of box them into, I guess, a, a norm that they think a boy is. I have all kinds of boys. Sure. <laughs> you know, like it just, and I just let whatever the, uh, the boy is just going to, whatever version of boy you are, be that. Yep. Whatever version of girl you are, be that. And we're going to make sure that you have a framework that you can be successful and, and that you can be valued in. But, you know, I do the, you know, and this is nothing I don't do for the ladies too, but I, I do try to support them in some of their other things too. So that's not just about, about me. I, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a B team football game only because nobody really, there aren't, there's never a big crowd. Cause I'm at this point, I'm like staying away from people, right. you know? And so, but I had two boys that selected me as their favorite teacher. Oh. Actually I had three. One was on a different team, but they canceled theirs and they're going to do a thing later in the year. So they were playing each other, which is odd because my school feeds into two different high schools. Mm. So I was watching some of my kids play against some of my kids. And so, um, but it was raining. It was cold. I was wet. I had to figure out how to, how to have two jerseys because they were like, you have to wear, you have to like have the two boy, the jersey of the per kid that suggested you, that rec that chose you as their favorite teacher. So one of my colleagues helped me figure out how to put one at the, on at the front of my shirt I was wearing and the other one on the back uh -huh. so that I could be like 97, <laughs> 57, you know? And, and so I just think, again, it's, it's about investing in them. But I, I also think so many times it's easier to, it's easy to ignore the boys and just don't like, just don't like treat them like, just don't mess anything up. Man, it's hard work to help them navigate through it, but I'm telling you, it sure is worth it. You know, and and I look at, I, I'm one of these people that I, I play games with my kids. Like we might listen to a really awesome choir and I think, and I say to them, what if this is the standard and the rest of us are just not meeting the standard? And then they go, oh. So, you know, but I also think having, have them listen to boys that are, that are in that age of development at some point too, we got the um, whole Hal Leonard vocal competition library. Mm. I did a donors choose project and got, um, got most of the copies. And then we were able to get a cut a deal with one of our music stores in the state and they got a duplicate copy. We got duplicate copies of all of it. And the reason I chose that is because they have different age categories i think it was a whole I, yeah I, this is just my suspicion <laughs> is that that whole competition was to make people sing age appropriate repertoire yeah. so that these little 13 year old girls aren't coming and singing oh mio babino caro right you know and so they have a 12 and under category and they have a 13 through 15 year old category so we got all of those books and so if a if uh doesn't matter Girl, boy, soprano, if you feel like you're more soprano, more alto, mezzo, cambiata, changing, male voice, um, baritone, everything, <laughs> you know, we have a book. And if you want to work, you want a solo, we have a solo that will, what one of those will fit you like a glove, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think, again, it's about, I think you have to get a little nerdy about it all. Sure. 
I mean, I just, for me, I just, I told you earlier how people have tried to get me to go back to high school, but I love, I love teaching middle school. And some people think I'm crazy for that because, you know, but I I think those kids need somebody who's nerdy about it. And if you love middle school, because not everybody loves middle school, then stay there. Right. Because they need somebody that I, I just, I, for me every day I wake up and I can't wait to teach middle school. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me when I was still teaching high school that that would be the case, I mean, I had little suspicions. I would go help the middle schools that always fed into wherever I was. But if you had told me back then, I would never would have known that. I like, I'm just, I love it. Yeah. And so I think you got to love it and you got to, they got to see that you love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just have to be supportive. It goes back to all the things that I said before about supporting them through all of this. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, we can definitely tell just how you talk about it, how much you love it. And I think that's a huge part of the, the success that you've had. So, well, it's, I think it's time where we need to, to wrap things up here. So, uh, Maurice, sure. I just want to say thank you. Like, this has been a joy talking with you. And I think this conversation is going to be an absolute goldmine for our middle school directors out there. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, like the thing is, if I'm not one of those mean people that if anybody reaches out to me, I don't think I have all the answers, but I like to try to have some of the answers and I'm always willing to share ideas. And I think we all can learn from each other. And that's one of the things I love about our profession. So thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I think, you know, your work inspires me. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'm sure you're going to be having some people reaching out to you after this conversation. So Thanks so much, Maurice. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Well, that wraps up our conversation with Maurice Burgess. Again, thanks so much to Maurice for sharing his experience and his expertise. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, if you've got ideas for a topic for the podcast or someone that would be great to interview for the podcast, I would love to hear about it. Send me an email at matt, M-A-T-T, at choirdirectorcorner.com and let me know. And if you're looking to dive deeper into resources designed to tackle all of the challenges of being a choir director, then you should check out the Choir Director Corner Community Membership. And you can find that at choirdirectorcorner.com forward slash community. And those links, as well as links to many of the resources that were discussed in this episode, you can find all of those in the show notes. Well, thanks again so much for listening to today's episode. I am so appreciative of you for being here and being a supporter of the podcast. Have a great day, and I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Choir Director Corner Podcast. Don't forget to check us out over on Facebook at www.choirdirectorcornergroup.com. Thank you.